Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. All of you, it's great to see you. Let's take our Bibles and go to the book of Genesis chapter 6. Remember last week we talked about Adam and Eve and we talked about the first universal curse that came to the earth and that universal curse was sin and death. The curse of sin and death. And uh, Romans 5 teaches us that, that through that one man's act of disobedience or his sin, death came to all men. And all died in Adam, but all are made alive through Jesus Christ and his gift of righteousness. And those who believe receive that gift of righteousness and the abundance of grace. So God reversed that curse of sin and death with salvation by grace through faith. Amen. We simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and everything turns for us. Everything turns around. Everything becomes right. Everything is made new. Old things are gone. Hallelujah. We're made a new creation in Christ Jesus. So um, tonight we're going over to Genesis chapter 6 and we're going to read uh, the story of Noah. And this is the second universal curse uh, that we will be looking at three main universal curses, and, and this is where we find the, the crux or the core of our belief system as Christians, all right? The, the core, or I also like to call these the early steps of our Christian faith. Salvation by grace through faith. Second, water baptism. Third, praying in the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues. And all of these are redemptive works that we're reversing a curse that came upon the world. And the second curse that we're going to look at is the curse of the flood that affected the entire world. You know, water covered the entire globe. Genesis chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 5. Now, I'm going to read several scriptures here to build on something. So you'll stick with me tonight. Are you ready to read? You got your readers on? All right, some of you older folks, I'm going to wait for you to get your glasses on as you can see. This happened to me today. I was at school, and this one of the students, she was showing me a picture on her phone. No, it wasn't. That happened here. That was Maddie. Where's Maddie Lynn? Yeah. So I grabbed my glasses. She goes, get your glasses. Can't wait till you turn 40. That's going to be a wonderful time. If I can see you by then. Okay. Genesis, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Then the Lord saw... Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. You know, the world was in pretty bad shape here. <laughs> Listen to this. Every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now just when you think things are bad in this world, in this time we're living in, we ain't nothing compared to what was going on here. All right? And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made, man, made them. Thank God for verse 8. But Noah found grace. In the eyes of the Lord. But Noah found grace. Now we're going to jump down to verse 17 for the sake of time. And behold, this is God speaking to Noah. And behold, I myself am bringing 
floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. So we understand this was a universal curse. Struck the entire world and affected everybody except these few. Verse 18, but I will establish my covenant with you and you shall go into the ark. Get ready. You, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. So he's talking about the animals that would be preserved uh, by bringing them on the ark as well. So God had Noah construct this ark. And that ark was built to house Noah, his wife, his three sons and their wives, and the animals. All right? Now, I want you to understand this ark was not built for any other person. God specifically had Mo- Noah, Moses, wrong Bible story, Noah build the ark for he and his family. Because when I was growing up, I can remember imagining uh, 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 like Noah was preaching to the people, hurry up, get on the ark, get on the ark. But the scripture doesn't give any evidence of that. As if Noah was trying to get people saved. This is the way, this is the way, but... That wasn't what was happening, actually. He has specific measurements for this ark that would house he and his family because God saw that where man was, there was no hope for those people at that time. Noah, though, found grace. One, think about this, one man on the entire planet at this time is serving God. You ever feel alone in your Christian faith? You ever feel like you're the only one who believes, you know, you might be working around people that don't think like you do and don't talk like you do and don't believe like you do. And sometimes you can feel very alone. Well, Noah understands your plight. One man and his house. The scripture doesn't tell us that his sons necessarily walked with the Lord, but it says he did. And because he did, His household was saved. That's a wonderful thing. Let's go over to chapter 7 now and verse 5. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters were on the earth. So Noah with his sons, his wife and his sons' wives went into the ark because of the waters of the flood, of clean animals, of animals that are unclean, of birds and of everything that creeps on. Aren't you glad God preserved the food that the Gentiles could eat? The unclean animals, you know, the pigs. Thank God bacon got on that ark, huh? <laughs> two by two, verse nine. Two by two went into the ark to Noah, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month. We'll just call it February 17th for us, all right? On February the 17th, on that day, all of the fountains of the great deep were broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened, and the rain was on the earth. How long? Forty days and forty nights. Jump down to verse chapter 8 now. Chapter 8, verse 1. Then God remembered Noah, and every living thing, and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained. God had rain, water coming from everywhere, didn't he? 
And the waters receded continually from the earth at the end of the 150 days. Yeah, that's right. You heard that. 150 days. That's a long cruise. I doubt they ate as well as people on cruises, though. And it probably didn't smell as good. 50 days of water decreased. Then the ark rested. Say rested. When did it rest? In the seventh month. What month is that for us? It's July. July 17th. The 17th day of the month on the mountains of Ararat. Say Ararat. Sound like you're stuttering, doesn't it? Ararat. I see Ararat. Ararat. The ark moved about on the surface of the waters for five months to the day. Is it any coincidence that it was five months? From February 17th to July 17th, from the second month to the fifth month, the 17th day, is it any coincidence that it was five? And at the end of that fifth month, the ark rested. Now, they, they didn't get out of the boat yet. The boat just rested. I want to, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. You might appreciate this. In just a moment, I'll get there. Isn't it interesting that of all the instructions that God gave Noah, the very precise measurements and exactly what kind of wood he was to use and to pitch it on the inside and on the outside and put a window in or a cubit from the top and then put a, a door in the side of the ark and had very specific measurements for it. That I don't know if God forgot. I don't think he forgot. He forgot or didn't tell him, didn't instruct Moses. <laughs> there he is again. Moses keeps trying to get in this ark. I don't know why he's trying to get in the ark. Noah, he did not give him a steering device. He did not put a rudder on this boat. Wherever the ark went, Noah went. Noah couldn't do anything about where that ark was going. In other words, Noah couldn't do anything about the deliverance he was experiencing. He had no part in that except to prepare for it. Hebrews chapter 11, listen to this, verse 7 says this, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. For you and I, what that means is, is that you believed this gospel message. This is how you got prepared for your deliverance. You prepared by hearing the message, believing that Christ died for your sins, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day. And at that moment, your faith, in that moment you believed it, God took over. God got in control of your deliverance. And it's a great deliverance. The scripture says it is a great salvation. And this salvation would save you from sin and from judgment and from eternal damnation. Never to experience it. Because now your deliverance is in God's hands. And Jesus said, no one, no one can snatch them from my hand. It's very interesting and on purpose that Noah landed. I promise I do study and I do read the Bible. 
that Noah landed in the, the, the mountain range known as Ararat. The word Ararat in the Hebrew literally means the curse reversed. It rested in the mountains with the name, the curse reversed, or precipitation of the curse. Listen to what precipitation means. You think it means drizzle. We had a lot of that the other day, didn't we? Yesterday. Listen to what it means, precipitation. To cast down headlong. To fling or hurl down. That's what God did with that curse. He reversed it. He cast that curse down headlong. It just so happened that the ark rested on the fifth month in a place called the curse reversed. Wow. Look at verse 5 of, of chapter 8. And the waters decreased continually until the 10th month. Now we're over in October. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. Now let's jump down to verse 14. And in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dried. Wow, a year and 10 days. That's, that's, that's how far apart me and my brother are. A year and 10 days. A year and 10 days they were on this boat. A year and 10 days. Then God spoke to Noah, verse 15, saying, go out of the ark. I thought you would never say that, God. <laughs> You and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, every animal, every creeping thing, every bird and whatever creeps on the earth according to their families went out of the ark. Then God, later on you can read where God put a sign, made a promise that he would never flood the earth again, and he put a sign for men to see, a rainbow in the clouds. Not only for men to see, but he said that he would look upon that and remember his covenant to never flood the earth again. And we talked about Isaiah chapter 54, remember, when it says, for this is as the waters of Noah to me, so as I have sworn I will never flood the earth again, so I have sworn I will not be angry with you, nor rebuke you. And we all believe tonight that we're never going to see a flood like that again, right? Why, why do we know that? Because God made a promise to us. Because we're still seeing rainbows in the sky. Well, just as heartily and readily and surely as you believe that, believe that God cannot, will not be angry with you. He won't do it. Ever. I think we probably all felt like maybe he was mad at us though, huh? Hmm? You ever felt like he was giving you that look of disapproval? He was angry with you? It's just a feeling. It's not the truth. It might be your conscience, but it's not the Lord. The universal curse of the flood has been reversed in the waters of baptism. I'm going to help make this correlation. Let's go over. Well, actually, we need to. Um, why did I have that in my mind? 
What was I thinking there? First Peter chapter three. First Peter chapter three. You know what's also interesting, my family? As I studied this out and looked at these, the Bible gives us those days for a very specific reason. You know, the second month, the 17th day, and then they came off the ark the second month and the 27th day, and it rested on the seventh month on the 17th day. In Exodus chapter 12, and we won't go there, but I'm just going to tell you what I've just been looking at in the scriptures. In Exodus chapter 12, that, this is where God institutes the Passover, all right? And he gives Moses, <laughs> there he is, the right place, Moses instructions about the Passover. And at this point, they are in the seventh month, but he tells Moses, this day, this month will be month one for you. This month will be month one. Seven is one for you. And, and, and on the 10th day, the people are to prepare a lamb. And they're supposed to bring that lamb on the 14th day. And at twilight, they are to slaughter that lamb. Well, by twilight, my family, it's the 15th day. Their day ends, the Jewish day ends at 6 p.m. So they slaughter this lamb somewhere around the end of the 14th, early 15th, all right? Jesus Christ, who John said is the lamb that takes away the sins of the world, had the Passover, the Last Supper, with his disciples, and that evening was betrayed, arrested, tried, and by the 15th, he was hanging on a cross. The 17th, he rose from the dead. How did God do that? How did he correlate that all the way back to an ark resting on a mountain? Saying that when the curse is reversed, there is nothing but rest. Because the scripture says, because that's what Jesus brought to us, and therefore there remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God, and we must be diligent to enter into that rest, that rest that Christ died for our sins. Hallelujah. We are rested in that. We're not striving. We're not straining. We're not struggling anymore. Hallelujah. We are saved by grace through faith today. Hallelujah. And there is rest in him. And the rest is this that you have assurance from this day for the rest of your life and the life to come. And God gave you the Holy Spirit, the scripture says, as the guarantee, as the guarantee until that day comes, until he comes to get all of you. You know, he wants all of you. He's got part of you already. He's got your spirit the scripture says you're seated there in heavenly places right now. Imagine that. Well, now, we can't understand that. It's hard for us to comprehend what's going on all in the spirit world because we've got this little bitty finite mind trying to wrap our, wrap, be wrapped around that kind of stuff. But we can't wrap our mind around eternal things because the, spirit, the, the, the scripture says the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's a, it, it doesn't understand the things of the spirit and the, because uh, they're beyond that. So we can only, the only way that we can access or, or really have an understanding, that comes from the heart of faith. 
And we believe it's true. We believe the scripture says we're seated in heavenly places with Christ, and we believe that we're there. But God's coming back for, to get all of you. He, he wants that body too. He's going to redeem that body because his salvation is spirit, soul, and body. Right now, you've got to contend with this body. Right now, you've got to bring this body under subjection and make it obey you. Amen? You've lived long enough to figure out that your body doesn't want to do nice things, and it doesn't want to serve others, and it doesn't want to please its spouse, and it doesn't, it doesn't want to do that. Anybody here ever struggle sleeping at night? I know, you, you know from time to time, you do. all right? I can just give you a perfect example. If you're ever struggling sleeping, crack open your Bible and start reading. You'll fall right to sleep. Or just lay there and pray in the Holy Spirit. You'll fall right to sleep. Because your body's like, nope, nope, no, I give up. <laughs> Works every time. Before you go get NyQuil, just open your Bible. You'll fall right to sleep. And if you don't fall asleep, you'll have a lot of time reading some good stuff. So either way, you win. <laughs> I do recommend that right before you go to sleep, don't let that be the only time you read the Bible. <laughs> All right. But it's not bad. First Peter 3, have y'all found it yet? Let's look at verse 18. We're going to finish with this thought tonight. For Christ also suffered once for sins. How many times? Once. The just for the unjust. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Verse 19. Whom also he went and preached, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah. We've talked about that, but let me just, let me just remind you of what the Scripture is really saying to us. This is a powerful thought. Because um, if you ever listen to, uh, I'm going to date myself, Carmen. You all remember Carmen, right? Remember when he told the story of Lazarus, right? And how, how Lazarus and Jesus comes down after he's died at the cross, and, and he comes down and, and, he, and he sees all the saints of old, and it tells all their story, you know, David and Samson and and uh, Moses and Elijah and all those guys, and they're waiting for him to come and lead them up to heaven, right? So they're there in Abraham's bosom or in paradise, as some call it, and they've, they've got their promissory notes, right? They believed him, and they're waiting for their Redeemer to come and purchase them, bring them to heaven, all right? But that's not the only thing that Jesus did, apparently, when he went. When he went down into hell, this says that he went, look, go back to, to verse 19, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. So you think, okay, yeah, that's Abraham and Moses and all that. No, who formerly were disobedient when the once divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah. These are the people that perished in the flood. They were, they were the ones who perished. Okay, now let me ask you something. Isn't this place, hell, isn't this the most hopeless place there is? Isn't hell the most hopeless place there is? Is it not? It's the most hopeless place there is. It's the end. That's it. That's, it's, there are no second chances in hell. Unless Jesus shows up. And my question is, what is he preaching? Why is he preaching? Why is he preaching to these people? They, they got what they deserved. If, do you remember what we read about them? that every intent of their the thoughts of their heart was continually on evil. All right? This is the kind of people that perish in the flood. And we would think justice says rightfully so. I mean, even God himself. He, he's just. He saw that that's the right thing to do. Apparently. 
So here they, they perished not only on the earth, but now their spirits have gone to prison forever. But then Jesus shows up and starts preaching to them. What kind of preaching is he doing, I wonder? Idiots, why didn't you get on the boat? You should have got on the boat. <laughs> Told you so. You had this coming, you bunch of losers. You think this is the kind of message he's preaching? Is this a gotcha message? I mean, why in the world would he waste his time, right? Why would he waste time when knowing that they're already in the worst kind of torment? Is he going to come just rub it in? What is preaching? What is he preaching? Why do we preach? As long as there's a preacher, there's a message of hope. And Jesus comes and preaches to the disobedient spirits who had perished in that flood. Jesus has a right to do that at this point in time. You know why he has a right to do that? And you know why they have a right to hear the message? Because as we read in Romans chapter 5, in Adam all die. So they'd already had Adam's effect. It's only fair now that they're affected now by the last Adam. It's only fair that they get a chance because if Adam, if they all die in Adam and Jesus doesn't have the opportunity to affect them, well, then Adam's sin was greater than Jesus' grace. But since he earned the soul of every man, my family, since he died for all our sins, even the sins of those who were, that sin of disobedience, Right? That sin of every intent of the thought of the heart being continual on evil, Jesus died for that sin. Then he had a right to come and claim what was rightfully his. He earned every man's soul. So he went and preached to them. Now think about this. He went and preached. The Bible doesn't say that he went and just got them out of there. It says he went and preached to them. Why? Because man has to believe this message in order to receive its power. So he went and preached to them and said, it's paid for. It's paid for. You want to come with me? Who is not going to answer that altar call on that day? Right? Who's going to go, no, I'm good. I'm good here with the, where the worm never dies and where the flame continues and continues. I'm, I'm enjoying this eternal torment, Jesus. No, thank you, though. Appreciate it. There's a very good chance that he completely emptied the place. Not only those who were just, but the unjust. Why? Because he had every right to do it. He had every right. Because if an Adam all died, then Jesus all can live. If they'll simply believe. That's a marvelous thought, isn't it? That, that scripture just blows me away. Waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved. How? How were they saved? Through water. Now watch this, verse 21. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Now let me explain what that means, all right? We're not a Church of Christ church here. Um, my mother was raised Church of Christ, and, and, and she said what they believed was you had to be 
saved and baptized in order to receive salvation because they quoted Mark chapter 16 that says where Jesus said, whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. All right? And then Jesus said, whoever believes not is already condemned. There is a salvation in baptism, but it's not a justification. It's sanctification. All right, salvation is... We're going to give you some good theological words. We talk about these from time to time. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. All right? Aren't those great words? Justification, sanctification, and glorification. And they all have to do with the spirit, salvation, justification, the soul, salvation, sanctification, and the body, salvation, glorification. This is the sanctification part right here. All right? And, and it's not just about sanctification. This is about now that you are in Christ and you believe on him, what does the scripture say about the old nature? It dies. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Right? And he talks about that old man, the old nature, the old man, not your dad, the old, the old man, that meaning your old, the old nature is now dead. Well, we have to do something now with the old man that is now dead. Right? We don't drag around our dead with us. I love my grandfather, but we had to put him in the ground when he died. I mean, I would have been weird if I would have just brought him home and just laid him in the living room on the couch. Hmm? We've got to bury the dead. And when you go under the waters of baptism... You are saying goodbye to the old man. It's more than symbolic. It is symbolic, but it's more than that. This is an actual burial happening here. And you're saying goodbye to the old nature for good. You buried it, and the scripture says, now you come up out of that water, and Romans chapter 6 says you rise in newness of life. Now you are only identifying with the risen one. You're not identified with dead works, dead things, old things any longer. Now you have come up out of the water. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And there is salvation in that. That salvation or sanctification is a separation from this world and its system. All right? You have consecrated yourself to God, given your soul, your mind, your core to him. You've made a conscious effort to say goodbye to here and hello to the new. All right? That's what baptism does. And so those who went underwater in the flood perished forever. But when you go underwater in baptism, that's not the end. That's the end of the old. But you come up out of that water like that ark came up. And the waters receded. And there it was, resting in the mountains of Ararat. So you rise in newness of life. This is what it says. Not the removal of the filth of flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So there, like I said, there is a, this is the redemptive work of what Christ did for us, that, that the waters at one time, it was an all-encompassing, worldwide, cataclysmic flood that God had to redeem it, and he redeemed that curse through water baptism. So uh, if you're not water baptized, I highly encourage it. All right, because it's more than just an outward expression of an inward work. All right, 
It's, a, it's a, the answer of a good conscience toward God. All right? And it is a testimony. It is a decision on your part that you no longer identify with what was before. You've cut that off. You've buried it. It's gone. Amen? Amen. And baptism, Paul said in first, can we bring up one last scripture? First Corinthians uh, chapter 1 and verse, start in verse 15 or so. Lisa, thank you so much. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 15, and then we'll read down just a little bit here. Does anyone should say that I had baptized him on him? Okay, so Paul is talking about baptizing the house of, there's a, a, the, his first convert, a guy by the name of Stephanus, and he baptized that household, and then he couldn't remember it, everybody they had baptized. All right, so now we're going down to verse 16. <clears throat> yes, I also baptized, oh, there it is, the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other, all right? Verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Whoa, whoa, I thought the gospel was believe and be baptized. Well, Paul makes a distinction between what the gospel is and what baptism is. He says, Christ did not, I mean, if, if, if our salvation is hanging on baptism, you better darn well believe God sent him to baptize. But he says, God did not send me, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ be made of no effect. All right, so when you look at the overall message of the gospel, it is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Baptism does bring a salvation, but it's not justification. Remember, you've got to keep those things straight. It's sanctification. All right? Everybody got that? You clear? Okay. So, and also, and you identify really with those in the ark in that because guess what? They were separated from all the rest of the world, weren't they? Everybody else went under, they were dead. And when Noah and them came off the ark, everything was brand new. New life, new beginning, new start. So, uh, what a great story, huh? There's, there are a lot of other things I'd like to bring out in that, but we don't have the time to do that tonight. So, um, but next Wednesday, we are going to uh, go into this third universal curse. And it's found in Genesis chapter 11. If you want to read ahead a little bit and start priming yourself for it, that's the story of the Tower of Babel. All right, Genesis chapter 11. All right, you've been encouraged tonight? Amen. Let's stand together. Father, we want to say thank you for your goodness and your grace to us. Thank you that you have saved us with a great, great, great salvation. It is a great deliverance, Lord. You've saved us to the uttermost, Lord. Not only for this world, but for the world that is to come. You have given us as a gift eternal life. You just gave it to us because you loved us. You gave us Jesus, who is our life. Lord, we thank you for that life. And I thank you for that abundant life, Lord, that we receive through Jesus who came to give it to us. Thank you, Lord, that every good thing in our life comes from you. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And we thank you, Lord, that you are good and you do good always. Thank you for the good news that Christ died, the gospel. It's all Christ. He died. He was buried. He rose again the third day. Hallelujah. And we get in on this by faith believing that he did it for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that the curse is reversed. Thank you that you're not angry with us. This story reminds us tonight, Lord, as you said, you will never flood the earth again. 
So you swear you'll never be angry with us again. Thank you that Jesus took all your anger upon himself. And we are today free from judgment, free from anger, free from wrath to come. Today, Lord, we stand in grace. And as John said, hallelujah, that perfect love casts out all fear. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he first loved us. And love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Hallelujah. Because we settle our case out of court. We plead the blood, and that changed everything for us. Thank you for that blood that brought us near. That blood that saved us. That blood that redeemed us. That blood that was poured out of our Savior's body freely and willingly. That has washed away all of our sins. Thank you, Lord. Now, I thank you, Lord, as your, as your people go from this place tonight, that they go in grace and they go in the favor of God. I thank you, Lord, that your favor surrounds them as with a shield. I thank you, Lord, that they have peace that passes all understanding, guarding their hearts and their minds. All of their children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be their peace. I think that these marriages teem with life and love, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for peace in their relationships, peace in their homes. Lord, I thank you for restoring, for healing bodies in the name of Jesus. Thank you that they will both lie down in peace and sleep tonight. For you alone, O Lord, make them dwell in safety. And when they rise in the morning, Lord, Lord, they will rise with the awareness that it is Christ in me, the hope of glory. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, that they have an expectation continually that when we call to you, you will answer us. And you will show us great and mighty things that we do not know. So we expect that. We look to you. And we give our lives to serve you, Lord. We offer up our bodies as living sacrifices, Lord. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.